Welcome to Science Talk, the more or less weekly podcast of Scientific American, posted on September 28th, 2009. I'm Steve Mirsky. In this episode, we'll search New York City and the metropolitan area for elusive crickets and katydids. And we'll test your knowledge about some recent science in the news. But first, something I've been holding for release for a while, we'll hear from Scientific American Daily podcast correspondent Cynthia Graber about a very interesting contest at MIT. The MIT Clean Energy Prize competition. What is that? I know it's pretty new. This was only the second year. Yeah, it was fascinating, actually. It was even more interesting than I expected it to be. Last year and the first year, it was just MIT. And this year, they expanded it to universities around the country. So there were 113 um, student groups competing for a number of prizes from 40 universities. There were five categories that they were competing in. One is biomass. One is something called clean hydrocarbons and non-renewables. Then there's the renewables category. There's energy efficiency and infrastructure. The last one is transportation. And the winners in all those five were the finalists for the $200,000 prize. But each one of those companies and the student groups won a certain amount of money. They won some advisory assistance. They won some office assistance because these are these are real companies. These are, are students who are expecting to go to the market with what they brought to the competition. The, the scientists, students at the various institutions worked in coordination with business students or the business schools at those institutions. Exactly. It's, you know, and a lot of times the ideas were kind of driven from the business schools where the business schools said, okay, we can come up with something that's marketable. And then they went to the scientists or the engineers and said, okay, what are you, you're doing something really interesting. Let's figure out how we can make this into a company. Sometimes it was the other way around. It was engineering or science students who then thought, okay, this is something that we can make a company out of. Um, so it worked both ways. There were definitely business students involved. It was part of the business school at MIT, um, Sloan, the, the business, the MBA program. And uh, you just had some really fascinating winners. And let's just uh, make it clear that 200000 was not for the students to go have a big party with. Uh, that oh, money, no. That money is designed as part of the, part of the prize terms is that it gets rolled back into the company for development of that company and that technology. Absolutely. These, uh, this is meant to be a very serious competition to really encourage new companies out there in clean energy. And so the money goes back into the companies and to make, to help the companies bring their product to market. These are, these students really expect to be able to bring their ideas to market within the next few years. And the grand prize winner, we actually did a 60 second science daily podcast about the grand prize winner why don't i play that now because we ran that back on may 27th so people have either forgotten about it or or never heard it in the first place so let me play that now and then we can talk about it a little bit more the fridge is one of your home's biggest energy hogs better insulation can make refrigerators much more efficient and a panel encasing a vacuum is one of the best insulators known but vacuum insulated panels are too pricey for widespread use Enter some University of Michigan students. They took something called rice husk ash. The leftover husks from processing rice are burned for energy and the ash remains. It's high in silica and carbon. So they tinkered with the ash and developed a new core material for vacuum-insulated panels. It's about 50% cheaper than what's currently available, and the resulting panels are such good insulators that swapping them into refrigerators could lead to about a 50% energy savings. They're space-efficient, too. A 1-inch-thick ash panel equals today's 4-inch-thick polystyrene panels. 
Then Michigan business students partnered with the scientists to create a company called Husk Insulation. They entered the invention in the MIT Clean Energy Prize Competition. And on May 13th, Husk Insulation won the competition's first prize, a cool $200,000, which will be invested in further research and development. So Husk Insulation, this is this almost feels kind of low-techy, but actually it's very high-tech in, in what they do with the husks. Yeah, this is one of those cases where it started off with the business school, know, you know, students of the business school knowing what was happening at the university. This is at University of Michigan. And they said, you know, there's something, this has real potential in the marketplace. It, it's great that this is happening in a lab. Now let's really do something with it. It turns out that, you know, refrigerators are the number two appliance in a household in terms of energy use and that there's a lot of application. Uh, already companies that make commercial size refrigerators are interested in this type of product because they're significant energy savings. And it's fairly low tech just in the sense of what it's coming from, that you have these rice husks and, you know, they're already out there and, and they're not being used for anything. And, and here's a really good market. What's the single biggest energy uh, usage appliance in the house? Is that heating and cooling? Yes. And uh, so, so husk insulation, very interesting. There was a, another one of the uh, individual category winners, Levant Power. Uh, Levant did something really, it, it's, it's one of those things that when you look around at all the energy that gets wasted, like I always say, I'd love to, love to have all the, um, exercise cycles and stair masters and treadmills in all the gyms across the country wired up. So, well, it, amusingly, you know, they're doing that in Portland. I actually visited that a few weeks ago. Oh, is that right? Yeah. That's a, you know, why, why not? Why not? At least they could run the, uh, you know, maybe the lights in the gym with that. But, uh, Levant Power is one of these outfits that's, that's trying to harness the energy that gets wasted, but in a really interesting way. Why don't you talk about that? And apparently a lot of the judges thought they were going to win because, uh, they, some of the, I'm saying, uh, not the judges, the, uh, the, the uh, other people, uh, the journalists covering it because they were already writing up their stories. Oh yeah, I probably shouldn't admit that, but that was part of, you know, MIT themselves. This was an MIT team as opposed to University of Michigan team. And I think they had some inside knowledge. They thought that Levant was going to win. I think Levant came in first in a different um, competition that happened within the next few days, but they did not come in first in this one. Still, it was fascinating. They're a bunch of undergrads, actually, and they were sitting around in their dorm rooms and they're tossing around ideas. And they started to think about the power of motion, um, you know, kind of what you were talking about in gyms, but the idea of a vehicle. Vehicle goes up and down. It has shock absorbers. And they thought, I bet we could use that. We could use that motion. So they designed something they called GenShock. And it uses this motion to generate electricity. So it makes the car, the alternator in the car, do less work. And that saves fuel. And they think they can boost fuel efficiency for commercial trucks and military vehicles by about 2 to 10%. And I have to say, it doesn't sound like a lot to me, but when you're talking about cars and trucks that are, are quite inefficient, it ends up saving a lot of fuel. And the military is really interested in this already. They have a patent. They're already working with the military. They're going after heavy trucks and hybrid vehicles. And they say that these shocks could eliminate, this is what they say, 10 million metric tons of carbon a year just in the U.S., so these kids are in the dorm room, obviously, jumping up and down on the beds. Yep, pretty much. And they say, hey, we're wasting a lot of energy. Why don't we harness the energy of jumping up and down? And they translate that over to Humvees, and the next thing you know, you have all these savings, and the kids win the prize. Yeah, they're doing really well, and they're pretty excited. They've been getting a lot of attention for their ideas. 
That's pretty cool. So uh, one of the other uh, winners in the individual categories, a company called Sunpoint, which pretty much describes what they do. Exactly. They're talking about pointing towards the sun. This is another one. I guess I found all of them interesting, but I'm particularly interested in, in renewable energy. So um, solar power, you know, I don't know if you've ever been out in the field, but when you look at some of the big solar systems, they have these tracking devices and they're mechanized and they're meant to kind of help the PV panel or the mirror, if you're talking about concentrating solar power, to help it follow the sun. Because you want the sunlight to be hitting the panel at as close to a 90 degree angle as possible. Right. You want to get the optimal angle, the optimal efficiency, you really want the most sunlight. And so, you know, we're not talking about if you have one on your rooftop where it's kind of stuck there. But when you have these fields of solar powers, of solar panels, um, there they have these trackers on them. And apparently they need a lot of maintenance and they can break down and leak. And uh, the founders of the company Sunpoint say that they're an expensive part of the system. That's something that I hadn't known before. But they've designed something that they say can be about 30 to 40 percent more effective. They were inspired by the idea that flowers and plants naturally turn to face the sun. Um, they call it, let's say it's something called a heliotropic effect. And it's just because of the direction that the sun strikes and they move. So, you know, they couldn't exactly mimic what plants do naturally, but this was what inspired them. And then what they did is they worked in material science at MIT, and they took this inspiration and they had two dissimilar metals. And so if one gets heated because the sunlight strikes it in a certain way, then the difference in the expansion causes the metal to pull and curve. And so you end up with the same effect as what's happening in the plants, but with just the heating and the expansion and the pulling of the metals. Well, that's that's like a thermostat. That's a pretty uh, in, inventive uh, ex- extension of that idea. So then you you basically put the panels on autopilot and they know where the sun is on their own. Exactly. I thought it was, again, I thought it was fascinating. I know I've used that word a lot already, but I just thought it, it makes so much sense. And they say it took a fair amount of engineering to figure out the right metals, to figure out how it works best. But they've engineered it so that there's the panel on top of the system and it follows the sun. There are no moving parts, no motors, no sensors, no leaking, nothing to maintain. And apparently PV manufacturers are really excited about it. So um, they're already working on setting up longer field tests and they think they can be manufacturing within the next like two years. Very cool. And there was also a category for, as you said, for clean hydrocarbons, which is, you know, something of an oxymoron. But the reality is that the cleaner hydrocarbons can be a bridge over the next few years until we can go to these more totally clean alternatives. So talk about the clean hydrocarbons uh, category. Well, I think that the idea behind this category, and I know that MIT is doing a lot of work in clean hydrocarbons, I think the idea is we already have them, we already use them, so we might as well try to make them cleaner. Um, you know, it's not enough to say, okay, we want renewables, we want as much as we can, but ignore the way our system works now. So apparently, for each gallon of oil that gets pumped from a well, there are about 18 gallons of contaminated water that then need to be treated. And apparently it can be really contaminated, and that treatment is um, kind of challenging. So there was an MIT student in chemical engineering, and he knew about work going on out in Ohio. So he actually partnered with some folks out in Ohio looking at nanoengineering. It's basically like he, he likened it to kind of a high-tech sand. It's been nanoengineered so that it attracts all these organic pollutants 
and, uh, and then, and dissolved acids and then just kind of soaks up with this gunk and becomes, he said, almost like a gel. And then you can separate it out, heat it and reverse the process. So you can get out those concentrated organics and then you can actually use them as well. So you can burn them as fuel. So it makes the pump more efficient in general because then you can recover what was basically a contaminant, but could also be a fuel and it cleans the water of uh, some really nasty pollutants. So again, this is one that has a lot of really excited clients. There's already one client in the Gulf of Mexico who's building a huge test bed. And just that test bed itself is a multi-million dollar project. You know, so the idea is that the system is cleaner and cheaper than what's currently available. And it also produces more fuel. And it could also mean that existing wells can have a longer life. Um, because towards the end, the ratio of water to oil gets even larger in favor of water. There's more water to oil. So if you can clean that water efficiently and effectively, then you can get longer life out of the wells that we have. And does that company have a name yet? They're called Produced Water Absorbents. And there was one more interesting company in, in uh, one of the winners in the subcategories. And that, that had to do with UV LEDs and water purification. Yeah, this is obviously a big deal. You know, there's a huge need for clean water around the world. And they also say that it's not just, you know, the need for clean potable water, but also purifying water in, say, hospitals, that this would be an important application. Um, students say that there were 2 million hospital infections a year, people who got infected in the hospital, and that the costs of that are about $30 billion a year. And they say cleaning the water more effectively is one way to help fight this. Um, they also point out that the food industry has been fighting bacteria and viruses. And so one of the ways they say that that this can be solved is through their um, system, which is, as you said, a deep ultraviolet LED light that they say is significantly more effective than anything that's on the market for purifying water. Now, they wouldn't talk to me on the phone. They say they aren't talking to press yet. So I don't know any more about it than this. I don't know how it's more effective than what already exists or how they've changed it at all. Okay, we'll let anybody who's interested hassle them directly. And I think that's, that's a good idea. That's Troy Research Corporation, and it's called Troy Research Corp because it's uh, an RPI, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, uh, effort, and they're in Troy, New York. So uh, kind of inspiring to see that you know young young people in, in the U.S. can uh, come up with good ideas and get them off the ground. The students were really inspiring. They have fantastic ideas. They're practical. They're applicable. They really can make a difference. I mean, you know, there's a it's a big market out there, and who knows if they'll succeed. But if even one or two of these companies can succeed in doing what they say they're going to do, then uh, then that could have a significant impact. And I think it's just great to see that there are really creative people out there who are still coming up with ways to make our energy um, more efficient, more effective, more uh, use renewable power, all sorts of, you know, all sorts of just really creative applications. I, I was really inspired. I checked back with Troy Research on September 25th, and they still haven't gone public with their particulars. Is that a backyard sprinkler? No, that's the amazingly loud sound of what I believe to be a meadow Katie did, which I recorded at about 9 p.m. the night of September 11th in the Bronx Forest near the New York Botanical Garden, and which is often described as making a sound like a lawn sprinkler. Anyway, teams of pro and amateur researchers fanned out across the New York metropolitan area after sunset on September 11th to do a cricket and katydid census. 
My team was led by Anne-Marie Runfala, Deputy Director of the Bronx River Alliance, which works to take care of the river and its surrounding environment. But before we get to that, let's hear Allison Beal of the Marshlands Conservancy in Rye, New York, who explained the cricket crawl a week earlier to a group who came to the marshlands to practice. There is a wonderful event, a cricket crawl, where people are going to go out and listen for the sounds of seven crickets and katydids, angle-winged katydids and coneheads and various other night insects that are singing. And you can go to a website and then you can send in your data from your own backyard. So that's why we were all gathered in the Bronx the evening of September 11th. In this first short clip, Scientific American Online editor Robin Lloyd and other participants try to identify species as Anne-Marie trains our team with some pre-recorded clips of the various critters we'll be listening for. The traffic noise is courtesy of the Bronx River Parkway. Oh, yeah. Okay, I think that's that's just the fall field cricket. Ding, 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 ding! Excellent. Each chirp is a brief trill of three to five pulses. I'm pretty sure that's the fall field cricket. Fall field Uh, cricket. cricket. Yep. Okay, next. Uh, I am looking for... Is that a... No, this is a new one. That's a new one. (laughs) Okay, that I'm gonna go with. Hold on, this. We'll go with the ticking first. Oh, the ticking, I don't know. But that other cricket, I think, is the jumping bush. Did you know the last one? Go back to the last one. This is the angel wing. Angle wing. Yes. Angle wing, yes. Which one the tick, is tick, it? Tick, tick, tick is angle wing? Yes. Okay. Jumping bush? Yes! Okay. 500 I points. I realize this name's it. <laughs> This is another angle wing. It is? Um, well, the oblong, oblong winged Katie oh, no, no, did. No, wait. no, wait a minute. Lesser. This is the lesser angle wing. Now, what would you call that? A tick, tick, tick? We're calling it a tick? It's not a tick. Oh, what is it? A zit? Zit, zit, zit? Yeah, zit, zit, zit. They do say that the DZT, staccato DZT, greater angle wing has a staccato DZT. Zit, zit, zit. And it also has a rapid series of higher-pitched ticks lasting several seconds. Yeah, and this doesn't have those ticks. This is the lesser one. Okay. Here it goes. It says brief raspy rattle, usually in a group of two to three with about a second of silence between each call. Each rattle composed of three to five pulses. Time between song bouts can be very long. Which one's that again? That's the lesser angle wing. We can get that. Okay. Right, we're moving on. All right, move on. No. Brief two-parted Zedic. Oblong winged. Yeah, Katie yeah, did. oblong winged. Okay. 
Okay. Got a very long pause in pause between. Yeah. Every few seconds. It's unique from all other Katie did, so it's going to sound different, yeah. which is good. That'll yeah. oblong sounds. Kind yeah, it's of kind of a scratch and obtuse. Then a pause. And those are car Katie did. <laughs> Here Anne Marie explains to some park police just what the heck we're doing. Crickets and Katie did. Cicadas are during the day, right? Yes. 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 Oh, okay. I learned. That's why they're yes. dry. This okay. is going on around New York City tonight. American Museum of Natural History started it, and they want citizen scientists to come out. One of the goals is just to get outside and listen to things that you hear every day but don't pay attention to and then try and identify them for fun and just enjoy your place and talk about why these things are important, something that you may never see and don't really think about. And here we're listening for everything we can hear in a minute with our position recorded for the study. One, on your mark, get set, wait, go. Jumping bush or f jumping bush? I'm yeah. jumping bush. Yeah, I heard jumping bush. Greater angle. Yeah. Angle. Oh my gosh, we're going to change the species name. <laughs> Greater angle wing. Do we have anything else besides those two? What's no, except for do you hear that constant buzz over there. I think it's cicadas, which yeah. can be out at night. They can. Yeah. Okay. But what's this one? One, pause, jumping bush. No. Oh, is it? Oh, I think it's. Is calling. it the oblong? No, I think it's a jumping yeah. bush calling to the other one at a higher pitch, mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah. 
Because they do sometimes will answer in a slightly higher pitch for some of the species, so I read. So just jumping bush and greater Anglewood wing? (laughs) Yep. I'm happy to report that the study found a lot of evidence for the presence of the common shrew katydid in New York City, which had not been confirmed to be present in the city in the scientific literature since at least 1920. Initial reports found all the species we were looking for. The teams also noted the presence of numerous other insect species and at least three people running around the woods in the dark without their clothes. There are 8 million stories in the Naked City. For all the results, go to www.discoverlife.org slash cricket or just Google Cricket Crawl. Now it's time to play Totally Bogus. Here are four science stories. Only three are true. See if you know which story is totally bogus. Story one, a patent was just issued for a battery made from cellulose. Story two, a strange kind of neutron star called a rotating radio transient was discovered by a high school student. Story three, a 44-square-foot textile that went on display September 23rd at the American Museum of Natural History is composed of silk from over a million Madagascar spiders. And story four, closing your eyes while scary music is playing during a horror movie is a good way to keep from getting more scared. Time is up. Story one is true. The cellulose battery was reported in the journal Nano Letters. Cellulose from algae with a much bigger surface area than the cellulose found in run-of-the-mill, sorry, paper, was key. It's coated in a conducting polymer, and voila, you get a battery. So Christmas presents of the future might be powered by the wrapping paper. Story two is true. West Virginia high school student Lucas Balliard was part of a National Science Foundation project in which students analyzed data from the Bird Green Bank Telescope. Balliard reported his finding, which was later confirmed, as being only the 30th example of this kind of object. It's like a pulsar, a rotating neutron star, only its pulses are sporadic instead of regular. Again, that is called a rotating radio transient. And story three is true. Over a million female golden orb spiders made the silk that made the cloth that's now on display at the museum. Eighty humans spent four years weaving that silk into the cloth. You can see photos of the tapestry at www.amnh.org. All of which means that story four about the beneficial effect of keeping your eyes shut during scary music portions of a scary movie is totally bogus. Because researchers found that shutting your eyes while the spooky music is playing can intensify the emotional reaction to the music. The study appeared in the journal Public Library of Science 1. So you might want to keep your eyes open like I do at scary movies at the concession stand. Well, that's it for this episode of Science Talk. Check out scientificamerican.com for the latest science news, as well as, speaking of scary movies, George Musser's blog item on the new Bruce Willis sci-fi movie, Surrogates. For Science Talk, the podcast of Scientific American, I'm Steve Mursky. Thanks for clicking on us. 